this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that covers every part of the property world. And today we're looking at one of the star sectors in recent years, logistics. There's a very diverse mix of companies here. You've got budget retailers, high street retailers, new online entrants. You've got a whole myriad of different people taking space. But with change being a constant, how will the sector cope with the challenges of 2020? It certainly seems at the start of this year things have really picked up. Um, inquiry levels are up, we've been out doing a lot more viewings. And I think just generally the sentiment is positive for 2020. I'm Guy Ruddle and with me today are three people who successfully worked out how to deliver themselves to the studio. Kevin Moffitt is Head of Industrial Research at Savills and was here, what, about a year ago, Kevin, talking about the same subject? About that, yeah, last time on, on a European scale. And welcome back, and nice to see you again. Bonnie Minshall is new to the podcast. Hello, Bonnie. Hello. Um, Bonnie is a director of the industrial and logistics team at Savills, providing agency and development advice to landlords and occupiers. And Tom Leeming is development director at Tritax Symmetry, which specialises in the development of large-scale logistics warehousing. Tom, welcome to Real Estate Insights. Hi, Guy. Now, I said a moment ago that this was the star sector of the property world, Kevin, in in the last few years. You've had this, you've done this survey, which you do every year now, the Logistics Sentiment Census. I'm glad I managed to get that out in one go. Uh, is it still the star sector? Would it, does the people feel that it's going to carry on being that? Yeah, um, as, as you said, we've done this piece of, uh, piece of work over the last three years. And What's really interesting for, for me is the, the standout question is, is you know, are, are you going to take more warehouse space into, into 2020? And actually, 54% of the respondents to the survey said they planned to take more, more warehouse space. And Bonnie, when you, when you talk to your clients out there who are the ones taking this sort of space, is that the, is that the sense that you get, that there's this sort of insatiable demand? Yeah, it certainly seems at the start of this year, things have really picked up. Um, inquiry levels are up. We've been out doing a lot more viewings. Um, and I think just generally the sentiment is positive for 2020. I think last year was challenging, although the stats, you know, say we had a good year. Um, take up was actually very strong. I think the sentiment, particularly towards the end of the year, got a very negative political uncertainty and what have you. Um, so it's nice to start the year on a positive footing. Um, everyone feels a little bit more confident and hopefully some decisions will be made and buildings will be taken. Because, you know, we're talking about occupiers there, but, you know, it, it, from the inv- investor community side of things, you know, eventually... Every, you know, everything that goes up must not necessarily come back down again. But, you know, the, we, we have bubbles around these sorts of things. Tom, you, your business is about developing these things. Do you, do you ever get to the point where you start thinking, well, uh, so, at some point this has got to stop? I think we, we've got such a spread over the whole of the UK with our portfolio that we've, we've you know, we can be very market specific and micro market specific of where we might speculatively develop, for example. So the riskiest element of our um, uh, business is you know, putting money in the ground and and developing uh, speculative units um, at, at risk. And you've got to really drill down into those market dynamics um, to understand that market before making that decision and that financial commitment. I think Tom's absolutely right. I think in the last boom time, in terms of spec development, everyone just used to build the biggest building they could fit on whichever plot. And now, as Tom said, it's a lot more considered, which is why we don't get big um, surges of supply. And one of the things that I find quite interesting is actually how 
um, arguably Brexit and the uncertainty around Brexit could have actually been um, a positive factor in in our in our world. There was a point towards the back end of 2018 um, where you could argue that the market was getting a little bit overheated. There was a lot of development going on, and actually the the uncertainty um, around around politics and Brexit and so on actually probably took a bit of the um, the steam out of the market. And what that did was was mean speculative developments were were lower. Um, that kept vacancy rates lower, um, which meant that the rents were still rising um, in many of the markets that we're we're seeing. So you know the unintended consequences of all of this um, are, are are plain to see. So. If that's the case, if there's sort of, as we say, this sort of insatiable demand and there's more development and more in, in more and more different places, is anywhere safe from the from the logistics warehouse, either the really big one or the smaller local ones? Are they are, are they going to be the? You know, I'm trying to think of a, an analogy where you know something's sort of taken over our high streets in the past, like a disease. And <laughs> is, is, is there a danger that we end up in that sort of territory that everything's got a bit of last mile or first mile or something logistics on it? I, I wouldn't argue that at all. I'm, if, if you look at the warehouses that we develop at Tritax Symmetry, they're they're all on strategic um, road networks, motorways, A roads, um, and I suppose that's exposed to a high number of vehicles passing them. So people's perception might be that um, lots of these warehouses are being developed. Um, but actually, you know, if you go up, there's no point in us developing a warehouse in a village in the <laughs> middle of the countryside simply because it just doesn't work. You've got to be on the strategic network for the, for the big box um, how, units. How close do you have to be to the end consumer? So obviously not in a village. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll accept that. But a town, a market town. Is yeah, there a demand on the high street of that market town? Yes, I, I think there's a demand um, you know, across the UK. However, when you get closer to the towns and the, the residential um, areas, you will probably find that the unit sizes reduce because you've got the last mile deliver- delivery element, which are you know, the white vans delivering the, you know, whether it's Amazon or other packages to people's houses. So you don't necessarily need a big box as it's described yeah yeah is there a sense at all kevin that that you know you get one or two people like amazon you know amazon took enormous amount of space in 2018 and then significantly less in 2019 does that spook people at all no, not not for me. Actually, I think it's very reassuring. What that demonstrates to me is actually that there's a very diverse mix of companies here. You've got budget retailers, high street retailers, new 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 online entrants. You've got a whole myriad of different people taking space. So actually, I think um, I think it's a very healthy position at the moment, particularly for developers and investors. Bonnie, is the nature of what your clients want changing as technology changes at all? In terms of the occupiers, actually, the buildings they want. In terms of the buildings they want, where they want them, yep. you know, I mean, I'm thinking about things like, you know, do, you, do we need stuff that, that close to things because we, everything's going to be done by drones or it has to be close because everything, yep. the last bit has to be done by electric vehicles or, or whatever it is, whatever the technology change is, does yep. it change the, the perception and the, and the demand? I think it's, well, it's probably a two-tier here. If you're looking at the national regional distribution centres, so the the big buildings you see up on the motorways, as Tom was alluding to, um, those sort of buildings will tend to be in the Midlands or somewhere where you can cover a a large proportion and get to a large proportion of the UK market within four and a half hour drive time, which is the HGV maximum drive time. Um, When you're looking at urban logistics, it's a slightly different picture because there'll be smaller buildings doing that last mile fulfilment, as Tom said. So the buildings 
the bigger buildings, for example, will be more driven by availability of labour, cost of labour, um, access to motorway networks, potentially rail, port, airport. There'll be things like that driving depending on who the end user is. Um, labour and, and power are increasingly important. Power? Power. So power seems to be coming up the agenda a lot. Um, we'll come You've on to probably... power anywhere, haven't you? No. So... <laughs> As as buildings become bigger and more complex inside, so more automation, more automated rackings, robotics, etc., there's more power that's needed to basically power the building. Um, and that's not always easy to get hold of. It can be expensive, there might not be power available in the grid. So that can sometimes set sites apart. And I know Tom's doing a lot of work on some of his sites to make sure they've got power supply. Yeah, I mean, one of the first things we look at as part of our due diligence for a new site is is the availability of power and services. Um, getting power to a site that doesn't have power is an ex- extremely expensive process and very time-consuming very often. Um, and one of the solutions that we've come up with where there are shortages of power in the country is to develop an en- energy centre, which is about the size of a tennis court um, and sits on the edge of a site and it's it's basically powered by green gas. Uh, and this can be responsive to the uh, needs of the occupier. Um, and, you know, if, if, if an occupier requires uh, lots more power at uh, 6pm, you know, when everyone's getting home and flicking their kettles on, that's not a problem. We can provide um, cheap, renewable energy at that time um, being responsive to the occupier. Needs. But it's it's really interesting because you know going back to the the survey that we've done the census, um, just looking at some stats here. But um, of the technologies that people think are going to have a game changing impact, um, this year sixty percent of the respondents said that warehouse robotics is something that's going to have a big impact. So that's and actually that's the highest response rate we've ever got to that question. Well, we haven't really talked about then. Uh, is the whole sort of sustainability, climate crisis, you know, carbon zero by 2050 thing. I mean, Tom, you are, as an industry, well, all of you, because you're all in the industry, in one shape or another, you're right in the middle of a very, very polluting industry. It may not be the buildings that are the most polluting bit, but you've got lorries arriving and lorries leaving a lot of the time. And it do, Is it a massive issue uh, in, in terms of your buildings and in terms of the industry, the whole trying to be carbon neutral? Yeah, I'd say it's it, rather than being an issue. So it's a huge focus for us as a business. Uh, we're a FTSE 250 company owned mostly by Tritax, um, and there is there are a number of pressure points here. Um, you've got investors who now are putting pressure on um, on funds and developers to develop um, greener product, a more environmentally friendly uh, and 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 lower energy usage um, buildings. But you've also got us as individuals who want to improve um and you've got you know um, local authorities also on the planning side are, are now switching on to this a lot of them have signed up to the climate change emergency uh, and are now putting pressure on um to increase the, the 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 sustainability credentials of the buildings so what are you actually physically doing i mean what what can you do to a building to make it more make it greener well, apart from painting it in green paint well, a lot of the a lot of the um, um, sustainable initiatives you can't necessarily see the the cladding, for example, for the units is is extremely high tech uh, and is highly insulating. Um, the you use water saving taps and flushes on loos. You can use rainwater harvesting. Uh, we put electric car charging points in the car parks. Um, 
We put future ducting in as well to allow the occupier to very easily extend that charging if it's required in the future. The same in the yard that will duct, very often duct the yards um, to allow uh, electric charging of, of HGVs in the future, and that's becoming more prevalent. And all of this costs money, presumably, and... Bonnie, your clients, uh, are they happy to pay the extra cost of all this sort of stuff? Do they, are, are they saying, oh, yes, please bring it on. The, we're very happy to pay an extra whatever it is uh, mm-hmm. for, for a green warehouse. I think most occupiers I come across say they'd, they'd like to have all these features, um, but they don't want to pay for them. They just expect them to come as standard. Um, and I think certainly when they're looking for a building or a site, sustainability is something they want to do to achieve their CSR policies, but it's not something that's top of the list. So it will come way down the list after location, cost, employment, power and all the other things we talked about. As Bonnie says, you know, it's all about location. And and actually, ironically, if, you know, if an occupier takes a warehouse in the right location, that can actually save a lot of CO2 emissions in that it might reduce their um, the, the miles their vehicles are travelling to deliver the goods to their target market. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly what we're finding amongst occupiers is what you do to a building is probably a drop in the ocean compared to what you can do in your supply chain. So actually, you know, moving to electric vehicles, etc., over diesel vehicles will make a much bigger impact corporately. Mm. So that's what we're seeing their focus being attended to. Down the road, if you look five years down the road, what what what's going to happen that's, that that will surprise us? I think the future that we're seeing is is about is around mixed use, is about how warehouse space can co coexist with residential uses, with other types of uses. Um, and and that- can I just I've heard this before about residential uses and, and where, logistics and warehouse yep. at the same time. Do people want to live next to, above, below? A logistics, you know, a logistics warehouse. Well, let's let's look at this in a in a in a couple of ways. Let's you know, with uh, the danger of being too London specific, but London, you know, is a very dense. Uh uh, city anyway. People live next door to um, to train lines. People next live next door to to rubbish disposal facilities. People live next door to um, sugar refineries. You know, down in down in the Docklands. So I think people are conditioned to to live next. You know, to 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 uses that they may not want to in other areas. And um, you know. Let's really just think about this as well. It's it's all about good design. Um, there are there are many examples um, of of residential buildings being above supermarkets. Well, actually, most supermarkets these days are twenty four seven operations. Cars coming all the time, delivery vehicles coming all the time, cages being unloaded in a in a in a loud way. So, I personally don't think this is a a step change. Yeah. Electric vehicles will become more important as well because certainly in the urban locations, if, if the occupiers are using a lot more electric vans, for example, they'll be certainly be quieter. So the perception of these noisy diesel vehicles and what have you isn't quite the truth. Now, can't get out of here without doing a Savile standout statistic. Has everyone got one? All primed to have a Savile standout yeah. statistic here. Yeah, who wants to go first? Kevin, you're the you're the researcher, you're the stats man. Yeah. Kevin Statsman Moffid, we will call you. What's your Savile standout statistic today? So something interesting for me is that using data going back to nineteen eighty one, rents have never increased when the vacancy rate has been above twelve percent. Our vacancy rate is six and a half percent at the moment. It would take forty million square feet of extra supply to get us to that twelve percent tipping point. Wow. Bonnie, what's yours? Um, my one is that 
average build to suit size is getting bigger. So buildings seem to be getting bigger. During 2019, the average build to suit, which is where an occupier takes a building to suit their requirements, um, it was 409,000 square feet. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if that continues to grow. Maybe that's too with economies of scale, with fit out, such as automation, etc. Makes more sense in a bigger building. Yeah. Tom? My standout stat is that um, in one of our core markets, the Oxford Cambridge Corridor, there'll be around a million homes um, delivered, or that's the target, by 2050. Uh, for every home, you need approximately 69 square feet of uh, warehouse logistics accommodation. So that's potentially 69 million square feet of additional uh, logistics space required to service that market alone. And that's amazing. That's also not the first time that standout statistic has been used. And uh, so, so there you are. And I will explain in a second what I mean by that. Guys, thank you all very much for being here. That's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. If you want to know more, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if you did, then there's much more detail about the logistics sentiment census on both the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research and Tom, your website as well, the tritaxsymmetry.com. Tritaxsymmetry.com. So go go ahead and read as much as you like. If you're not a subscriber to Real Estate Insights, then please feel free to become one. And this is the link back to that, what we were saying a moment ago. One of the episodes that you would be able to listen to if you went if you were a subscriber and went back to would be about the Oxford-Cambridge corridor, which is where that uh, Tom's standout statistic was first used. That's the first time we've had the same statistic in two episodes. I could not be more excited. So feel free to become a subscriber if you want to. Uh, And in the meantime, thanks for listening. See you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.